Now, depending on your age, and all of us are at some age in life, depending on whatever age you are, determines how many changes you have seen in your life. Now, you know, as I was thinking about that today, I thought, well, you know, I've certainly seen a lot of changes in my life, and you have as well, and really, uh, many of them have been good changes, and uh, some have not been good, some have been bad changes. I was thinking there about some of the good changes that uh, I have seen take place in my life. Now, many of you can relate to this, others of you will kind of scratch your head, maybe on a couple of my illustrations. But, but for example, uh, in my life, I've seen the change where we heat our homes just with our finger. We just go over to a thermostat on the wall and we put it on whatever we want the, uh, the house to be. Now, growing up, the way you heated the house it was not, not a thermostat on the wall. You went out to the uh, wood pile and you brought in wood. Or in my case, you would go out to the coal bin. Uh, my grandparents, they, 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 their, their heaters in the house all were coal. You have these old dirty black pieces of coal and you'd take them and you'd, you had these tongs, but you got it all over your hand and you'd put it in the heater and of course it would burn and then it finally, kind of like logs, they burn up and you have to replace it. So now that's a good change. And then likewise, another big change that many of us have seen is that, you know, in the summertime, we cool our houses the very same way. We just take our, our finger and we, we, push it if we want it to be hotter or cooler or whatever it might be versus how I grew up. You opened the windows, you had an attic fan, and uh, that's just kind of how it was. That was changed. And then I was thinking today of another change. Like today, our cars, our vehicles all have heaters and air conditioners. Now, I'm not going to ask anybody to raise their hand, but there are those in the room that remember when cars had no air conditioners. And then you remember we got those little little boxes that you put, you know, in the front on the floor. And of course today, well, I remember when cars didn't even have a heater. And if you wanted a heater, you could pay extra and, and then order your car with a heater. So, you know, we've all seen a lot of, and those are all good changes. There are many other good changes. Now, they're bad changes. In my opinion, they're very bad changes. And the area that I want to focus tonight where I think if we would think about it, we've seen more drastic change than any other area in life, and that is in the area of church. Now, when I talk about church, I'm not just talking about our local church. I'm just talking about church in general. For example, if you go and read in the book of Acts, where we'll be in just a moment, and you look at the first century church, and then you look at the church today. Look at the things that happened in the first century church. And then you look at what happens in church life today. I'm telling you, it is a huge, drastic change. And there is a reason. And we're going to be talking about that in a moment. And, and here's what the reason is. In the 21st century, Churches today, they try substitutes to do God's work 
And the substitute is they substitute things in place of the Holy Spirit being what God's work can be done through and by and with. And so we want to think a little bit about that. And we could talk about many substitutes that, that, that church life seems to think this is how you do it. But then you go back and you read the first century church <laughs> and everything you read about, it's all built around the Holy Spirit of God. Now, in the little worship sheet you have tonight, entitled The Holy Spirit Dominates the Book of Acts. Now, I want you, if you will, uh, to just open your Bible to the book of Acts. Uh, and it's very, very interesting. Uh, I, I look today to see kind of what, what's going on out in the world. Now, you know, the, the way b- books in the Bible are named is, is the publishers, in many cases, came up with that. Like, I'm looking, for example, uh, in a New King James. And if you have a New King James, or if you have the Old King James, or you have the New Living Translation, what your first page in the books of Acts is going to say is going to say the Acts of the Apostles. How many of you, that's in, that's in, kind of, it'll help me know what translations I'm dealing with. Okay, I must be dealing with a lot of other translations. Okay, now, if, if you have, for example, the NIV or the ESV or the Christian Standard Bible, when you turn to the book of Acts, <laughs> it just says Acts. It doesn't say Acts of the Apostles, it just says Acts. And then I looked at the New American Standard version today of uh, translation and on the very first page it just says the book of acts so your bible says something but you know i i think and i've written it in my bible uh, there's there's really a a more accurate way to say hey this is what this book is about it, it's really not about the acts of the apostles it's the acts of the holy spirit through the apostles and others during the first generation of the Christian church. Now that is really what this book of of Acts is about. It's about the acts, not of the apostles. It's about the acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles and others in the first century church. And so as you read through this book, now, what I've done, this is what blew John's mind earlier. He's, when I came in, he said, are you going to give us a cafe break during this Bible study? I said, well, John, what I'm going to focus on is not even printing. But what I do want to do, I want to kind of back up what I've just said. See, the, the first century church depended upon the Holy Spirit for guidance and power. The 21st century church substitutes a lot of other things, thinking this is how God's work is done. And those things can be great things as long as the Holy Spirit is doing them through those things. But if we just rely on those things, apart from the Holy Spirit, what we do, we just do in the flesh. Now, let's do this tonight. What I want to do tonight, real quickly, I want to run through these little 10 things I'm not going to dwell on these because I want to move on to a more life application part of it. What I'm thinking about doing, because I'm so excited about the whole idea of the acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles and others, 
not only in the first century Christian church, but as it is in our church today, or at least it should be, we may just take, whether I do all 10 or not, I'm thinking about just going back like maybe next week and start out with number one and do a Bible study on that. The following week, number two and three, and we may do them all. We may do part of them. We'll just kind of get into that. But be that as it may, I want you to open your Bible now to the book of Acts and look with me in chapter one. If you look on your little sheet, it won't take long to do this. It just says, uh, uh, it, it was about the whole, about the spirit that Jesus spoke to his apostles just before he ascended back into heaven. So if you're a Bible marker, you may want to underline a little of this. If you look in verse number two, it says, well, verse one, the former account I made, O Theopolis, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach until the day in which he was taken up after he through the Holy Spirit. Now here it is. See this whole book of Acts it's the acts of the Holy Spirit. Here it is. Had given commandment to the apostles whom he had chosen. If you look down in verse 4. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. Verse 8. Jesus said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So there it is again. And we're just going to see this as you read through the book of Acts. It's just over and over and over. Now, look in Acts chapter 2. It was the Spirit that came at Pentecost. In Acts chapter 2, if you look down in verse number 4, it says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. There it is again. Number 3 on our little list, it is the Spirit that is promised to all who believe. You're in Acts chapter 2. Look down in verse 38 and 39. Acts 2, 38 and 39. Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. So there it is again. Turn over in Acts chapter number 5. This is a very familiar story. In fact, I've not preached, nor have I heard John preach a sermon on this uh, in a long time. We, we did, it's a very interesting story. In Acts chapter 5 about Ananias and Sapphira, in verse 1, a certain man named Ananias, his wife Sapphira, sold their possessions, kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid the apostles' feet. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? There it is again. Then if you go down in verse 9, Peter said to her, his wife, how is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? And of course, you know they both fell dead, lying to the Holy Spirit. Look in chapter 5, you're there, the Holy Spirit that the apostles witnessed. It was with the Spirit. In Acts chapter 5, in verse 32. It says, and we are his witnesses to these things, and so also is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to them that obey him. Then in Acts chapter 6, the first deacons had to be filled with the Spirit. And we see it in verse 3. Seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 5, it says, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Spirit, and these others likewise. That was the qualification. Now go in Acts chapter 8. 
we'll, 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 we'll look in detail later if this is a study we go. But in Acts chapter 8, Philip was instructed by the Spirit to speak to the eunuch. In Acts chapter 8, in verse number 29, uh, it says, Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. That's that Ethiopian eunuch. That's a powerful story in the Bible. And then in Acts chapter 10, I think most of us are very familiar with this story uh, about Peter going over to Caesarea Cornelius. But in Acts chapter 10, uh, if you look uh, in verse number uh, 19, in Acts chapter 10, verse 19, while Peter thought about this vision that he had, uh, the Spirit said to him, and there it is. And then as you move fast forward just a little bit, in chapter 11, uh, he's explaining why he went to the Gentiles, you know, because they, uh, they, were, they were upset with that. And he said in Acts chapter, in Acts chapter uh, 11, in verse number 12, he said, the Spirit told me to go with them. We'll deal with that, that whole story later if we, if we go in that direction. Then in Acts chapter 13, a very, very interesting thing. The Spirit instructed the church to send Barnabas and Saul on missionary work. In Acts chapter 13, verse 2, they ministered to the Lord and fasted. The Holy Spirit said, here's this, it's the acts of the Holy Spirit. This is what I'm wanting to fix in your mind and in your heart. And we go on and read all that. Then in Acts chapter 15, uh, we have this uh, controversy and how the Spirit settled it. If you look in Acts chapter 15, maybe you want to just mark it in verse 28, and this would be a, a, an interesting Wednesday night. But it says, For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than the necessary things. We'll explain the context of that later as we get into all of that. Well, now, the point that I'm making and now we're going to get it to a little life application in just a moment, is that the first century church, if you read through the book of Acts, it's about the acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles and through others that went and did have the power, the wisdom, and guidance to do the work of God. Now, the church today, you say, well, now what's different about the church today? Well, number one, it tries substitutes for the Holy Spirit. And, uh, you know, different churches try different things. Another thing that's happened that's changed in, in our lifetime is, you know, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, there, there are those that I say they, they, they're uh, they excessive emphasis upon the Holy Spirit. And you know, they would say a person, you know, they must be filled with the Holy Spirit in order to speak in tongues. So if you don't speak in tongues, or let's say it another way, speaking in tongues is evidence of being filled with the Spirit. And so their whole emphasis, everything is about the Holy Spirit. It's just, it's, it's maybe, maybe excessive is not the word, extreme, maybe that's a better word. But then the opposite of that is the neglect of the Holy Spirit. Now, I kind of grew up in that Baptist box. Uh, in fact, as a little boy growing up, I mean, it was always the Holy Ghost always scared me to death. Uh, you know, I, as a little kid talking about a ghost, that, that was a frightening kind of thing. But like, I just grew up I'll say it this way. In the Baptist box that I grew up, maybe all Baptist boxes weren't the same. I'm sure they're not. In fact, I'll guarantee they're not. 
uh, that's, that's a unique thing about Baptists. We're all different, uh, you know. But, but like there was very little emphasis, very little said about the Holy Spirit. And, and, uh, and then as people would read the Bible and, and see that, hey, the Holy Spirit is not something to be ignored. It's not something that we try to be excessive about, but the Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity. And th- this whole idea of being led by the Spirit and being empowered by the Spirit and, you know, all these things are, are in the Bible. And, you know, there's, there's been a lot of, uh, lot of hurt uh, by a lot of good people along those, uh, along those lines. Now, you know, as I, as I think about that, I, I want to kind of focus on how all this relates to you and to me where we are. First of all, is, is, I mean, we've, we, it'll, be, it'll be fun to study some of these stories, if not all. But as you just take the whole book of Acts and think about the Holy Spirit, you know, I think, well, now, you know, how does this apply to me and you right now? Well, first way it applies, and if you want to write something down, uh, it'd be a good thing to write down. Be certain that the Holy Spirit dwells in you. Now, John touched on that in his uh, opening comments. Having no idea, I was going to later say that. You know, he was talking, he, he talked a little bit about that, which fit very beautifully. Uh, now, I want you to turn me in the book of Romans. This, this is very, very important. Romans chapter 8. Now, that's our great, you know, we love that Romans chapter 8. When somebody said, oh, Romans 8, 28. Well, that's a good one. But now, Rome, 28 is not the only good verse in Romans. It's one of them. But look with me in Romans chapter 8, because I think oftentimes we kind of miss the boat here. This whole idea about the Holy Spirit, you want to be certain that the Holy Spirit of God is dwelling in you, because your eternity is at stake at this point. The whole big deal is not so much... Do we have the theology of the Holy Spirit perfect? Do we all agree on the uh, teachings and doctrines of the Holy Spirit? The, the first thing we need to nail down is be sure we, the Holy Spirit dwells in us. Look in Acts chapter 8 in verse number 9. It says, but you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. Now watch this. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now watch this. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, He is not His. So when you repented of your sins, ask God to forgive you of your sins, invite Jesus to come into your life. That's how we say it. What actually happens is that not God the Father, not God the Son, but God the Spirit came to indwell you. So think back when you trusted Jesus. Or if you say, well, I'm not sure the date. I'm not, okay. The, all right, say it this way. Are you trusting Jesus now? Could I have a yes or no to that? Okay. That's a weak yes. Well, you're humble. All right. If you're trusting Jesus now, that means sometime before now you trusted Jesus. So sometimes people say, well, I can't remember exactly when I was saved. And a sincere person, that can, that can be a very challenging thing. Well, for those who can remember when they were saved, like 
The apostle Paul would say, I know when I was saved, I was saved on Damascus Road. Okay, but everyone doesn't have an experience like the apostle Paul. The, the important thing is just ask yourself this question. Do I know I'm saved at this very moment? Well, if so, and I pray so, then somewhere before this very moment, you were saved, so you're saved now. And if you're saved now, you're going to be saved in the morning when you wake up, and you're going to be saved forever. But, but the question is, are you certain that the Holy Spirit dwells in you? You can't be saved without the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in you. Nor can you live the Christian life apart from the Holy Spirit of God living in you. Well, first of all, you wouldn't be a Christian, so a non-Christian can't live the Christian life. But if we don't, when we have the Holy Spirit of God in us, He indwells us, He enables us and empowers us to do things that in the flesh, no matter how sincere we may be and how hard we try, we're unable to do those things. So I think that is a key thing. Now, I would predict, I don't know, but I would predict most everyone here tonight and probably all who are watching would say, now look, I'm not a perfect Christian. None of us are, but I know I'm saved. I know I'm saved. Okay, that's great. So that being true, based on what the Bible teaches here and elsewhere, then the Holy Spirit of God dwells in you. You say, well, I don't feel as he does. It doesn't matter what you feel. What matters is what God's Word teaches. If you have been saved, the Holy Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, the second little part that I think is so very important, we want to get this one, we need to live each day being filled with the Holy Spirit. You say, well, I thought when we were saved, the Holy Spirit came to dwell in us. True. But let me show you. Now, turn in your Bible in the book of Ephesians. Turn over to the book of Ephesians. Galatians, Ephesians. That's how it works. Turn over to Galatians, and let's look at a verse. Uh, excuse me, in Ephesians. Right past that. Look with me in chapter number 5. Ephesians chapter number 5. And if you look down in verse 18, very familiar verse, be not drunk with wine, which is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I mean, you ought to have it. And that, and I know you're not interested in Greek words and all that, but, but like it, it's, it's in the present tense. It, 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 it's a continuing thing. It's a continuing thing. You, you, the idea is you live, you live continually under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Just like a person that is drunk, they live under the influence, okay? says, don't do that, but he's using this as a comparison. Like a drunk lives under the influence, a believer is to live with continual influence of the Holy Spirit in their life. And so we're to live each day being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I think we all have it. Now, now here's, here's the breakdown. The, the, we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us, and the Bible's very clear we are to be filled. It's a continuing action every day. Well, what happens out here? Because sometimes in your life, in my life, you know, I don't think I'm living continually under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and we all, if we'll think about it, 
I mean, sometimes we say things, do things, act ways, respond, etc. That, that, that would not be how the Holy Spirit would have us do that. What, what, what's our side of this thing? Okay, well, our side is two things. Number one, uh, we need to guard against grieving the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, God indwells us, okay? I'm to live my life continually under His influence, okay? But then I say, well, I don't think I'm always doing that. Well, one or two things is happening. I, I haven't lost the Holy Spirit. But what happens is we grieve the Holy Spirit. That's one of the things that we do. And uh, we, we, we want to guard against that in, in a very special way. We guard against grieving the Holy Spirit. Now, you're in, you're in Ephesians, and it's talking about, uh, look with me in chapter number 4, in verse number 30. In chapter number 4, verse number 30. The Bible says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Now, when, when you grieve God's Spirit, we'll talk about that in just a moment, what happens, it, it lifts your anointing. Now, we talk about the anointing. Like, what is the anointing? It refers to the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, it's a special presence of God. When you're living your life, and you have an awareness of the special presence of God. That is what is being talked about in this word anointing. It, it's, it's just a beautiful, a beautiful thing. And when we grieve the Holy Spirit, and he's very, very sensitive, we, we usually don't feel anything at the moment. But what happens is... Uh, Dr. Kindle in his book d d does an excellent job. He, he talks about how doves versus pigeons, how the dove just kind of flutters away. Well, that's exactly what the Holy Spirit does. His anointing is lifted. It's not there. And here's a sad thing. Uh, Samson would be a good example of that in the Bible, a person that didn't know that the Spirit of God departed from him and, you know, it, and all that strength he had until the very end, uh, that strength was no more. What had happened, the anointing had left him. And in many times in all of our lives, we may or may not even be aware it's happening, but God's anointing has been lifted. And in and, and God's work, uh, many proceed on out of habit, or they may proceed on by the momentum of a natural gift. Very gifted people. You know, there are people that are just very, very gifted. Their personality, their, their mind, their way of using words, their charisma. And I mean, how many times have we watched some of the, you know, uh, people that were well-known people as ministers that just seemed like God was just using in marvelous ways. And then yet some of them, it turns out they're not living what they preach. And of course, what happens, they, they lasted a long time in their charisma. But as the anointed is lifted, there'll be a point out there where their, their natural gifts won't care of them. Their charisma won't care of them. We need to... Uh, uh, we need to avoid doing anything that would grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And would, you know, would, would, in simple language, 
thinking, doing, acting any way that would grieve, make God unhappy, you know. And when, you, when you're living with an awareness of God's presence in your anointing, you, you feel peace of mind. You, you have clear thinking. You have courage and confidence because you know God's in complete control and no matter what, uh, you're going to be okay. So we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and we live our lives every single day of our lives uh, being filled with the Spirit. And the way to do this, number one, very simple, just work at not thinking, doing, saying anything that would be displeasing to God. Would this be, would this be something that would please God? Would this be something that would displease God? And, it, you know, our minds know that pretty well. Now, the second thing, though, we do is this whole idea of quenching the Holy Spirit. And I want you to turn over in the book of 1 Thessalonians real quickly. In 1 Thessalonians, in chapter number 5, it's a very short verse. Grieving the Holy Spirit is one thing. Quenching the Holy Spirit is another thing. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19, it says, Do not quench the Spirit. There it is. Do not quench the Spirit. Now, this word quench comes from a Greek word. And it refers back in Bible days to extinguishing a fire. That's the whole idea of quenching. Grieving is like hurting God's feelings. Quenching the Holy Spirit is like you're going to take a fire hose and kind of, you know, put all the water out and kind of put the fire out. Well, we, we can quench the Holy Spirit. In other words, the Spirit's fire can be put out. We probably are more aware of this than we are the grieving the Holy Spirit. We probably do many things that make God displeased that might not at the moment be uh, we aware, but when it comes to this whole idea of, 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 of quenching the Holy Spirit, uh, I mean, there's an overlap between the two. Grieving the Holy Spirit refers to actions of ours that hinder the Spirit of God from being what he could be in us. Quenching the Holy Spirit refers to the actions of ours that uh, hinder the Spirit from doing what he could do through us. So they're, they're like cousins. Uh, they, they kind of, they're, they're different aspects. But, you know, as I look at that, I'm just so encouraged. And so, you know, I just, I think as we definitely are going to go back and study some of these, but, you know, I, these two things. Number one, as we think about here we are tonight, the question is, are you certain that the Holy Spirit of God dwells in you? Now, you need to know that. You need to know that. Because there's a great peace in knowing that. And then number two, do you have a real passion to live each day by being filled with the Spirit? And the way to do that, it's very simple. You live your life saying, okay, I don't want to do anything that would grieve the Holy Spirit. And I don't want to do a thing that can quench the Holy Spirit. And, you know, many, many good Christian people at certain times in their life have just like been on fire for God. They just couldn't do enough for God. Couldn't read enough Bible. Couldn't pray enough. Just wanting to serve the Lord. Time goes on. They kind of cool down. Well, it can happen to you. It can happen to me. We have to, we have to guard against it. We have to understand it. Because, see, the anointing can be lifted and you not even be aware of it. 
until one day you just get out there and realize, look, I don't feel the presence of God in my life at all. God seems like he's a million miles away. I feel like I'm praying. My prayer is not even being heard. Okay, ask this question. Is there something you're doing in your life? It may not be necessarily a, a horribly bad thing. Maybe something you're not doing that would displease God. You're grieving the Holy Spirit. Okay? Then this whole idea of quenching the Holy Spirit. You know, you have to work at not letting the fire go out. You know, we're habit people. We really are. No matter what it is, if, if you get in a habit of something, that's going to be one of the challenges when, when COVID, you know, gets to be less and less and less. Like, how many of the people who were nominal at best, and every church is full of them, you know, once every three-week people, once every four-week people. Okay. All right, now, they've, they've been out of church two years. Okay. We're going to start Tuesday, Bible lunch back, God willing, first Sunday, first Sunday, first Tuesday in March. Okay. Well, Tuesday, Bible lunch has been shut down almost two years. Now, one of the things about Tuesday Bible lunch was everybody that came to that just kind of knew every Tuesday that's where they were going to come eat their lunch and have a Bible study. Well, for two years, they've been eating lunch somewhere else and hadn't had, I don't know what they've been doing. <laughs> but like the, the nominal folks, every church, every study you read about church is asking this same question. What impact will COVID have on the Christian church? How many new folk, the, I mean, how many of the regular old folks that were maybe not quite as, how many of them going to come back? Well, we hope, we hope they'll all come back, but our focus, we certainly want them to come back, but we're not going to just sit around saying we hope everybody comes back. What we want to do is try to reach folks that don't know Jesus. They never were here to start with, you know, and, and see the difference that God can make in their life. Well, I'm very excited about looking at what we're going to look at for a few Wednesday nights about the Holy Spirit, and I hope you are.